it's a habit I'm trying to break, so that mute button is a tricky thing, so well, I hope you guys are doing well today. Uh, I'm excited about today. I'm excited about jumping back into the series and uh, going through Acts. We're going to be in uh, the book of Acts again today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1, so if you want to go ahead and turn your scriptures there, uh, that's where we'll be hanging out today. There'll be some other scriptures, but that's going to be the main place where we are. If you don't have your Bibles, that is okay, because uh, we will have some scripture up on the screen. Uh, for you as well. Um, but I'm excited about this. Uh, what we're doing is we're just taking um, a, a few weeks and uh, we're going to be going basically verse by verse um, through the chapter one of Acts uh, for the next couple weeks and uh, really just um, asking God to speak to us and open our hearts and our minds to um, just how amazing his scripture is and then what he wants for us as a church and what we can do and living out this life that he's called us to live. And um, one of my prayers and hopes as we go through um, these scriptures and kind of walk through um, this series in this manner is to really, um, that each person, myself included, that, that I and then each one of you, that you fall this, that much deeper in love with God's word. Um, one of the things that's just absolutely amazing to me is... You know, I was, I was joking around with um, Pastor Fred when we were starting on the first week of this. I was like, man, I could go through and I could preach um, an entire series just off of verse 1, right? <laughs> and when you go through and you start studying, just see the depth of God's Word and how much is there. It's just amazing. Um, and how true it is and how tested it is and, and how um, all throughout time this thing has remained true, Right? When other things have fallen and other things have been proven to be false or other things have been shown to be inadequate, um, this right here, it holds true. It hasn't been changed and it transforms lives today just as much as it did thousands of years ago. That when people really open up their hearts and their eyes to this and the Holy Spirit uses this and speaks to them through God's word, that this thing is alive that it changes hearts and changes lives. And so I, I pray that you um, experience that and that you do fall in love with this. Um, as we're going through, I can't hit everything that I want to hit. So there might be some things that I allude to. There might be some things that I just kind of speak to. And I really encourage you to use that as an opportunity to dig deeper into God's word throughout the week. That you study and that you look into some things. And if you're like, I don't know how to do that. Or I don't know, please just send me an email or send me a Facebook message or Send me a tweet or text or smoke signal, and I'll do whatever I can to make sure that I get you guys um, any information that's needed so that you can do some further depth and study. But that's one of my biggest prayers is that um, you do fall more in love with God's word. And also, too, that um, as we go through this, that each one of us will just become that much more aware of what God's called us to and the life that he's called us to live. And that when we look at that, that we don't seem overwhelmed by it or discouraged by it, but yet we be full of hope and anticipation that he's called us to this life that's way bigger than us. And he's given us demands that are way beyond possibility for us to do. That he said, hey, this is what I want you to do. And it cost us everything, but yet there's peace and joy and life that is found in that. Not discouragement, not, 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 not weakness, not, not timidity, just truth, life. 
in an abundant life. And so that's what I hope you experience. So I'm going to catch you up real quick on where we were, just in case you weren't here um, two weeks ago when we did Acts. So I'm going to hit a couple points, um, but we do have the podcast up so you can listen to that sermon in depth. So now the Williamsburg podcasts are going to be up and rocking each week on our website at citylifeva.com so you can check those out. Um, so make sure you're doing that. But um, so what we, we did is we went through Acts chapter 1 and we went through one, verse 1 through 5 is what we walked through. And the points that we hit and just kind of pulled out of there is the first one was is that Jesus demands your life. And that's the first point that we hit. And, and really that was pulled from just looking at who Luke was. Luke was a physician. Luke was a very educated person. He was a knowledgeable person. He walked with affluent people. Him himself could have been an affluent person. Um, Luke is living this life. He's successful. He's accomplished. He's doing things. And Luke gives his complete life all the way to the age of 84 where he's killed for the name of Jesus Christ to make sure that he's done all that he can to show that this thing that's written about Jesus Christ is true and is real. And so Luke, when he discovers who Jesus is, and he sees this, and he was not somebody who witnessed all of the things that happened. Luke writes the, the gospel of Luke in the book of Acts as, as a, uh, an investigative journalist. He goes through, and, and he's going to the people that saw these things happen. He's going to Jesus' family. He's talking to Jesus' disciples. He's asking them questions, and he's talking to them. He's talking to people in the community. He's reading the local newspapers and blogs and all those types of things and pulling in everything and saying, here's what's happened. Here is an eyewitness account, not from somebody that saw it happen, but from all these people that saw it happen. So then he goes through and he writes Luke, which is one of the most in-depth chronological writings of Jesus' life, showing us who Jesus was. And as he says here in Acts chapter 1, showing you all that Jesus began to teach and do. And then he writes Acts continuing on to show that Jesus lived his life and that Jesus died the death that God wanted him to die and that he was risen from the dead and that he has continued his work on, that Jesus continues even today his work on through the church. And so he's showing us this in both Luke and Acts. And so when you look at Luke and you look at Theophilus who... Luke is writing both of these books to, and you look at Paul, and you look at Peter, and the people that are referenced in the book of Acts, you see that Jesus demands your life. That he doesn't just want a piece of it, he doesn't want just a fraction, he wants everything. And when you see who Jesus really is, you can't help but give him everything. And that's the point number one right there. And Jesus is number two, Jesus' life demands a decision it's something that we can't just look at. And when you look at Luke, Luke is an affluent person. How many of you ever heard before that the gospel is, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's for the people that are weak and the people that are, kind of aren't the smartest people, right? How many of you heard that before, right? Maybe not said that way, but right, you've heard that before, right? That the, the, the gospel is for those people that are kind of unwanted, right? Luke is a physician. How many of you guys ever known a doctor that wasn't doing well for themselves? Right? Have you ever known a doctor who was actually licensed to be a doctor that wasn't very smart? Right? Right? Not very many of us, right? Even the dumbest and probably the most poorest doctor is doing better than any of us, right? <laughs> okay? So, so he's a doctor, right? And he's writing this. He's not only, not only convinced of this, he's absolutely transformed by the truth in life of Jesus Christ. He gives us life to us knowing who Jesus is. And he had to make a decision 
And he said, listen, this thing is real. And so the decision for us is, is when we look at the life of Luke, we look at these things, we see that there's a decision that must be made, that everything that he's written, and we talked about this in depth uh, on the first week, but the, the, this thing is true. It's been tested. When you go through and you look at how it was written, there's no way to deny that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, and Jesus rose from the grave. And when you look at that, it demands a decision. And it doesn't matter who you are and where you're at in life, that Jesus is for everyone. It doesn't matter how affluent you are. It doesn't matter how poor you are. It doesn't matter how intelligent you are. It doesn't matter how not you are. Anyways, Jesus demand, his life demands a decision. Point three was Jesus' life and power is not just to be mired, but to be experienced. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. And fourthly, it was Jesus gives us a reason to live with awe and expectation. And so today, as we move into verse 6, and we're going to look at verse 6 through 8, what we're just going to again to see is Jesus speaking to his apostles, and, and in as he's speaking to them, that he's speaking directly to us today as well. And so that's where we're going to be at today, and as we look at this chapter and, and, and continue on in these verses, uh, I believe God's got something special for each one of us today. And so before we jump into it, uh, let's go to the Lord for prayer real quick. God, I thank you for um, your word, and I thank you for your faithfulness. God, I thank you for the truth of your word, and I thank you for the truth of Jesus Christ. God, I thank you that you sent your son to die on a cross, to do for me what I could not do for myself. God, I thank you for the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of the life that he's given us an opportunity to live. God, I pray that today that your church will hear your word, that your Holy Spirit will speak to each one of us. God, that you will be glorified and that we will be transformed for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6, starting in verse 6, it says this. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, as you look at this here, and going into the next verses that we will start looking at next week, or when we look at verse 9... After this, this is when Jesus ascends into heaven. So what we have right here is Jesus' last words that he speaks in the flesh to his apostles. So he's speaking to them and he's here in the flesh and so he's speaking his last words to them. How many of you guys in a moment, maybe it was just a, maybe it was a, 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 just a moment or maybe it was you were leaving a friend that you've been with a long time, you're moving to a new place, or um, maybe it was just a situation, but you said something, right? You spoke these words, you're like, those are the last that I'm ever going to say to this person. It could be a stranger at a counter, right? Or it could be a close family. You said, you know, it's like, I wish I wouldn't have said that. How many of you have ever been in a moment like that? You've had a situation like that, right? All right? Yeah, many of you have, right? So I, I know this is what I'm speaking about this week, Right? I know this is what I'm preaching. I know where I'm going. And so Thursday morning, I'm having my weekly meeting with Pastor Fred. And we meet at Panera Bread, all right, because Jesus is in bagels. And so 
and cream cheese, lots of cream cheese. And so we're at Panera Bread, and, um, and so we're sitting there, and it, it's been a long morning, and, and uh, I just haven't been feeling the best this week. And so I was just like, I just don't want bread, right? I just don't want a bagel as good as that is. I was like, I just don't feel it right now. So I'm thinking, I want something different. I want to mix it up a little bit. How, you know, how many of you guys are with me? You like to change things up a little bit, right? How many of you guys are, you eat the same thing at every restaurant you go to no matter what? All right, all right, all right. There's a couple of you out there. I can respect that, all right? But that's not me, right? I like to change it up. I wanted something different every time I go something. And so uh, I usually mix up my bagels, but it's like I really want to throw things in a mix, right? And I just don't feel it. So I want, I want something different. So I'm sitting there, and I'm looking up at the board, and I'm reading the board, and I'm like, oh, that sounds really good. That sounds really good. I know that word. How do I say that word? Because I want to order that. But I don't know how to order it. I'm getting ready to say this out loud, and I think I'm going to sound like a moron. So what do I do in this moment? And so, like, Pastor Fred's already ordered, right? And she's just sitting there looking at me, and I'm sitting there just having this conversation in my head. I want this, but I don't know what, how how do I say this? I don't want to look like an idiot in front of Pastor Fred. What do I, I know that, why do I not know this word? And so I'm sitting there going, so, 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 what, what is this? I, I don't know what the S word is up there. I want the S word, all right? And she goes, souffle, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine. All right, when the word came up there, how many knew what it was right away? How many of you didn't know? Yes, okay, good. I'm not alone. Good, all right. So <laughs> I just needed affirmation. All right, so here, so, I, so it was a moment, like I said, that she starts laughing at me, and I'm like, that's probably the last thing that this one will ever hear from me, right? We'll probably never come in contact again, and she's just forever going to remember this guy that had no clue what he was doing and just made a fool of himself at the counter, right? So you can have a moment like that, or maybe it was a bigger moment, like when I was thinking about this, I was even thinking about in high school. Um, I mean, no, it never starts off good when you say when I was in high school, right? So I was in high school, and um, I was, uh, at the time I was seeing this girl, and, um, and it, the, the relationship was an interesting one. It kind of started off as another story for another day in an awkward way um, that involves my mom. So it was a weird story, but um, so we'll, that's another day. But so it wasn't really going well. I was kind of unsure about the relationship and, and different things, but we're at school one day, and, and uh, we're walking the halls as you're supposed to as boyfriend and girlfriend and whatever you I don't even know if we call ourselves that. And so we're just sitting there, and we're just kind of walking, not talking to each other, right? But since you're next to each other, it means something, right? And so we're just walking through the halls, and uh, we get to the place where she's got to go to class. And so I'm just like, all right, I'll see you later, you know? And then she reaches up, and she kisses me, right? And I didn't know what to do. I was not expecting this. I was not looking for this. And I'm sorry I'm taking this sermon to PG-13 ground, but hopefully you're okay with that. But so she, she reaches up, and she kisses me, and I'm just so, like, I don't know what's going on in the moment. Like, I look at her, and she does that, and I'm like, all right, love you. You know what? Actually, I don't love you. I have no clue why I said that. And then I just walked off. (laughs) And I just walked off, right? That was the last time I talked to her that day, and then I intentionally didn't talk to her the next day, right? You imagine for her in that moment, like those next two days were probably awful, right? Those are the last words that I spoke to her, and it was painful, right? And I can think of another moment, just one more, but I can think of another moment. I think of my grandfather, and this is a pressure moment. My mom's dad, when um, a couple years ago he passed away, we were in the hospital, and we all had the pleasure of being there um, as he peacefully went and, uh, to be with the Lord. And I remember standing there at his bedside, and we're standing next to him, and he's been fighting for his life, and we've been fighting for him, and just people all around the country have been praying for him and, you know, hoping that he would make it through the moment. And, and, but he lived a hard life, and, you know... Um, just worked hard, and it was his time, 
And we kind of knew that. We kind of weren't ready because we loved him so much because he was such an incredible man. Such an incredible man of faith and such a loving man. And uh, we're standing there at his bedside. And my grandmother, she asked me, she says, okay, it's time for him to go. Jamie, will you pray for him? And just pray that God will take him and just let him know that it's okay. I'm just like, geez, Granny. <laughs> Thanks, right? <laughs> right? I mean, so I'm sitting there, but I pray. And I just remember, I don't remember all the words I said. But I remember being able to pray words, thanking God for the faithfulness of my grandfather. And sharing words of love and excitement for the life that he lived full on for Jesus. And the impact that he made in countless other lives. And I remember those last words having so much meaning to me. To be able to speak those with absolute sincerity to know that they're nothing but truth over my grandfather. And I remember those last words. And I remember that moment and will forever be with me. So last words. They have an importance, right? They have impact. Jesus is speaking to his apostles. He's getting ready to ascend to heaven, knowing that at this moment when he ascends to heaven, he's not to come back again until he's coming back to claim everything as his, right? So Jesus is ascending, knowing like up to this point, he's been popping in and out of rooms, right? Just like all of a sudden, like they're heading to the locked room, and all of a sudden Jesus is like, yo, what's up, right? And they're just like, ah! Right? So he's been popping in and out, and, and for a long time up until his death, they've been hanging out a lot, always together, 24-7. They're just always hanging out together. But then after his resurrection, there's 40 days they're together where he's there sometimes, and sometimes he's not. They really don't know what's gonna, when he is going to be there, but when he is there, he shows up in dramatic form, which is just awesome. Right? And so he, he shows up, and he does these things, but at this moment, he's, he's leaving. He's not coming back. So these are his last words to his Apostles, and, and these are words that are going to ring true for them, but ring true for us as well. They, they continually speak, and they have a, a huge importance in the life that he's called us to live. And, and so when you look at these words, don't just look over them and just pass them over in the sense that you're just like, okay, yeah, that's in Scripture. This is Jesus, the most masterful orator that's ever lived, the most intentional person that's ever walked this earth, that didn't say anything without absolute internal influence, right, in his heart. That he wanted everything that he said to have meaning, not just for the moment, but for all of eternity. That when he spoke, he wanted people to be so aware of what was happening that his few words could have such depth that they would continue to give forever and ever. That Jesus is speaking his last words to his apostles before he goes up to heaven. So this is a huge moment that's taking place here right now. And if you look at verse 6, you see the, the apostles, and they're speaking, the, the disciples are speaking to Jesus, and they ask him in verse 6, you know, they're like, hey, so is this the moment, right? Is this the time that you're going to restore um, Israel and our kingdom? You know, is, is this the moment that you're looking for? And so as, as we look at this verse and as we work up to verse 8, which is going to be the culmination of everything, the first point that I want us to get from this is, is that as we see this verse and we see the conversation as it begins to happen is, is that we see that Jesus used his last words to reorient understanding. That when he was speaking to his disciples, he wanted to shift their thinking. That he used his last words to help them say, you're looking here and I want you to look here. And the same thing is true for us, that he is speaking to us that our natural inclination, our natural desire is to look at what's in front of us. 
to look at the influences that are there, to look at the things that we really care about, the things that make us happy, the things that make us sad, to look at what we don't have or look at what we want to have, that we look at those things and Jesus is saying, listen, I want your understanding to completely shift. That it's not about here, but it's about where I'm going. So he speaks to them. And all throughout Luke, you can see as Jesus is speaking, you can see through all the Gospels that Jesus continually and is always preaching and speaking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And throughout his own life, and we even talked about this when we were going through Matthew chapter 13, that Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God is both now and not yet. Right? That the kingdom of God is here. It's to be experienced. It's to be had. It's to, to, to sense God's presence with you. That God is here with you now. But it's not full yet. It's not really here yet. It's not complete yet. That it will be complete when Jesus comes back. We're going to talk more about that next week. But Jesus was going through and he was speaking about the kingdom of God. And if you look at the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1 verse 3, Luke is writing and he talks about Jesus speaking about the kingdom. Right? Six more times on top of that. So a total of seven times the kingdom is referenced in the book of Acts. You can see that they're always talking about that. And whenever they talk about somebody speaking about Jesus, you see somebody preaching, whether it was Peter, whether it was Paul, you see them preaching about what? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God that is both here and forever. That is both now and not yet. You see them speaking of this kingdom, and you see that. And as you go through scriptures, you see all these different things happening. So in Acts chapter 1, it opens up with with the talk of the kingdom. And then in Acts chapter 28 and verse 31, it ends with Luke writing about Paul. Paul is boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. The book opens up talking about the kingdom of God, and it ends talking about the kingdom of God. The disciples themselves are sitting here looking at the situation. They have this hope and this anticipation that Jesus is getting ready to, in a moment, change everything. Right? He's getting ready to just come in. All right, cool. You've done some awesome stuff, and some things happened. You've stirred some waters. But you know what? We're ready for Rome to be gone. We're ready for Jerusalem to be like the place we're ready for our king to come in. We're ready for the army. We're ready for the soldiers. We're ready for the gold, the robes, the thrones. We're ready for it. Let's see it now, right? This thing's getting ready to happen. I mean, you just rose from the dead. It has to be the moment, right? This is happening now. And Jesus is like, it is now, but it's not yet. Jesus is speaking to them, and he's just reminding them that there's something bigger taking place. That there's something beyond just the moment that is happening. That God has a plan that he is working out. That God has a plan that he is, is, is decreed and is made to have happen through Jesus Christ. Listen, the advancement of the gospel doesn't just come in the power of a moment. The advancement of the gospel comes in the preaching of the gospel. And that it takes time. That it takes each one of us to experience the gospel and to be aware of the gospel. The kingdom advances as the gospel goes forth. As we preach the gospel, and as the gospel is preached, that is how the kingdom advances. Jesus is speaking to them and saying, listen, you want something to happen in a moment. But what I'm telling you is going to happen is something so much bigger than that. You need to shift your understanding. So the question for you this morning is, the question for me that I've been asking myself as I study this, and the question that we should continually ask ourselves 
As we study the gospel, no matter how long we live and no matter how deep we get in our relationship with God, we should always consume ourselves with the gospel and allow it to speak to us and challenge us. So where you are in this moment, ask yourself this question. Where are you looking for hope? Where are you looking for peace? Where are you looking for affirmation? Where are you looking for satisfaction and fulfillment? Because the disciples, they were looking for the here and the now. And Jesus is saying, listen, I want to shift your understanding. It's not about the here and now, but it's forever. It's about what I am doing. And it's so much bigger than just you. And it's so much bigger than just this moment that it includes people that you can't even imagine. It includes a timeline that you can't even imagine. It includes factors that you can't even imagine. And I want you to see that and to understand that it's not about Israel getting their kingdom. It's about me, Jesus being king over all. And our understanding has to shift. That as disciples, as people that call themselves the followers of Christ, that when we get caught up with the here and now, we get focused on what's in front of us, and we get focused on what we have and don't have, and we get focused on our career, and we get focused on our family and all of these different things, and that's what consumes us, and that is what we use to decide if God's working or not working. Our understanding has shifted from what God wants us to know. Understanding has shifted from what God has taught us through the life of Christ and the death of Christ. And it shifted to us instead of Jesus. So he's speaking to them. He's saying, listen, I'm going to reorient your understanding. You've lived this life for this moment. I want you to live your life for me. And when you're living your life for me, you're living my, your life for this eternal kingdom that I am the king of. I was speaking with a guy at work the other day, um, a server that I serve with, and uh, he's a young guy, and he talks about all the time how he used to go to Jesus camp, and, um, but he got done with Jesus camp, and now he's living his life for himself, and, and so we were talking the other night, and um, he said, you know, he always, he's asking me different questions, and one of the questions he asked me, because um, he said something, he said, you know, well, I mean, so you're, you're telling me you would die for God. I'm like, yeah, I would. And actually, you know, I was like, that's not even an issue for me. And he's just like, really? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, I I said something in the conversation, spoke to the lady um, who is currently in, uh, I believe it's uh, somewhere in the Middle East right now, but she just got sentenced to die and be hung, uh, to be hanged for her faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, it's down in Africa, actually. So um, she's she's down there and she's being sentenced to be uh, crucified or to be hung for her faith in Christ. And he goes, see, like, look at that. So she's lived her life for God, right? And she knows who God is, and she's been a good person, and she's, you know, done all these things, and just because she believes in Jesus, she's going to be killed. What kind of God would do that, right? And so we talked through it a little bit, and then I said, but you look at her, and you look at her testimony, she doesn't see it that way. She talks about the joy that she has for what she's going through. She's in jail right now with her kids, and it's not a burden for her, it's a joy for her. The same is true for me, man. I was like, dude, if somebody came and said, renounce Christ or die, I would die not with sadness and tears in my eyes, but with a smile on my face. He goes, dude, you look at the world way differently than me. (laughs) And I was like, I do. Because my understanding has shifted from what I have here to what I have in Jesus. And the things that I can possess here are nothing compared to what I possess in Jesus Christ. Right? When we get caught up in the moment, it's not bad, it happens, we're human. But we have to stop and allow God to speak to us and reorient us, to move us, to shift us, to help us be redirected and say, no, this is what it's about. God, I want to move forward and I want to hold you and I want to possess you. So Jesus 
speaks to us and he uses his last words to reorient understanding. And secondly, Jesus used his last words to give hope. He uses his last words to give hope. Tim Keller says this. He says, Jesus didn't come to tell us the answers to the questions of life. He came to be the answer. And here's why this is hope. Here's why this is hope. It's because we're sitting there and saying, is this going to happen? And, and how's it going to happen? And then you look at him in verse, um, verse 7 here. Jesus says, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. Right? Does that not give you hope? Can you remember being a child? Right? Do you remember as a child, right, how your food got prepared for you? Or do you just remember food being set in front of you? Right? Now, as an adult, you know what it takes to cook a meal, right? Right? And unless you just find joy in cooking, right, you know that the ignorance is a bliss, right? <laughs> you're just like, man, if I didn't have to prepare this thing and I just could sit down and food was there, that was a good day, right? That was a good time in life, right? Listen, Jesus is speaking. He's giving hope because he's saying, listen, you don't need to know about this. You're going to get caught up in, oh, when's God coming back? And, oh, does this mean something? And, oh, look at what's happening over there. And, oh, man, there's just so much stress and so much concern and worry and doubt. And what's the stock market going to do? And what's this going to look like? And am I going to have enough food? And, and Jesus says, don't worry about it. Those are things that my father set in place. And those are things that he's got in time. And they're not for you to know. All that is for you to know is that I have a promise for you. If you go through and you look at scripture, Jesus is always saying that if we look to him and seek first the kingdom of God, then what? All these things will be added to you, right? Right? So we go through and we look at our understanding is not about here and now, that it's about this kingdom that God is, is ushered in through Jesus Christ and life that he has, but it's also about the one that is yet to come. Right? Where pain and suffering and sickness are gone. That is yet to come. And we get to look forward to that. And it gives us hope that we don't have to worry about in the moment when it's going to take place. But we get to look at it and say, it's coming. It's coming. And when I see things happening, when I see things take place, it's not a matter of discouragement for me, but it's a matter of hope. Because I don't know when it's happening, but I do know that it is happening. And I know that when I live my life for God, that everything's taken care of. It gives me hope, and it gives me excitement, and it gives me encouragement. So Jesus uses his last words to give hope. Thirdly, Jesus used his last words to provide care. To provide care. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, in the beginning of verse 8, he says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is a huge thing, that he is speaking to them to provide them care. I love that you see this, that the promise becomes before the command, right? That Jesus doesn't say, here's what's going to be cost of you, and here's what's going to take of you, and here's what's demanded of you, and all this stuff, and oh, by the way, I'm going to help you out, right? He fills their hearts with hope, and he gives them just this awareness and assurance that he cares for them and that he loves them, right? It fills their hearts up, and they're just like, yeah, this is awesome. Something huge is getting ready to happen, right? And then he's like, and here's what it's going to take, and they're like, that's awesome. I can do that. Because I know his promises are true. Because their understanding is being shifted and their hope is being filled. And they see that God is the one that cares for them. And they don't have to care for themselves. And they're prepared and able and ready to live a life that God has called them to live. And as you go through and just look at this, the point that we made last week, I just felt like it was huge. And just want to re-hit it again for a moment is, is that Jesus' life and power is not just to be admired, but to be experienced. 
And as we continue on through the rest of this verse here, that we look at that Jesus is not just to be accepted up here in our heads. Luke just didn't go through and say, okay, I'm an intelligent person, and okay, I, I, I can go through and connect the dots, and I can go through and do all this investigative journalism and pull all these things together and create this document and say, okay, yep, there it is. Okay, now I'm proven. Luke, in hearing the life of Jesus Christ, knowing and seeing the transformation and the life that people were experiencing in God because of Jesus, he became aware of who God was and that God was real and that God wanted to be in relationship with him. And that he stepped into a life not of just saying, okay, God's real, but stepped into a life saying, I want to experience God and I want to live the life that God has for me. We can get so caught up in this idea of, okay, the facts make sense or the facts don't make sense and that determines how we act. Listen, God is not just, Jesus is not just to be admired. The life that he lived and the power that he displayed is not just to be said, okay, it happened, or that's really cool, he was a good guy. It's to be experienced. It's for today. It's for now. So how do you live this life out of experience? And, and, and as we go through the rest of the verse, we'll see this, but a couple of things just real quick. What does it look like to have this experience, to, to be experienced in God, to walk in an experience of knowing? And Jonathan Edwards, in 1737, he writes this. He said, I had a view that was for me extraordinary of the glory of the Son of God and his wonderful, great, full, pure, and sweet grace and love. Jonathan Edwards wrote that after experience where he had been preaching of Jesus, talking about Jesus, leading in the church, but there was a moment that he pulled himself away from all of his experiences. He pulled away from all of his tasks. He pulled himself away, and he just went and said, God, I want to know you. I want to experience you. I want to be in your presence. And he just writes, it was so full. It was so sweet. It was so, and he just speaks of experiencing God, that it wasn't something that happened here, but it was something that happened here. And it moved him, and from that moment on, how he preached and what he preached was totally different. Recently, a college professor, a seminary professor, he asked 120 students of his, uh, 120 of his students, he said, what do you know? And they said, Everything. It's just a joke for college kids that they think they know everything. Sorry. <laughs> Fell, but I still found it funny. But he did ask him. He said, do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that God loves you? And out of the 120 Christian students preparing for ministry, how many of them do you think said yes? How many do you think? Let me read you the question again. Do you believe that God loves you? Out of 120 Christian students preparing for ministry, how many do you think said yes? Two. Two. Two of them. The rest gave answers like this. I know I'm supposed to say yes. I know the Bible says he loves me, but I don't feel it. I'm not sure I can really say I believe it. They're preparing for ministry. They have a head knowledge of who God is. But there's something to be said of this desire to experience God, to know that God loves you, to feel his embrace, to know that he cares for you, that he speaks to you in your moment, in your situation, and he says, I love you. I'm going to care for you. Don't worry about the things that are in front of you. I got them taken care of. Look to me. I'm going to take care of everything, and I'm going to give you more. 
than what you could even ask for. To know that and to feel that and to experience that is something completely different than say, I accept Jesus lived. I admire the fact that Jesus was a good person. It's something completely different to say, I know him to be a good person. I know that he lived, and I know that he died, and I know that he came back from the dead because I experienced him. He's changed my life. Something completely different. One of the things that we can do to start walking into this and to, to understand how do we get to this moment, how do we find ourselves, and it happens all the time. If you're just like, okay, I've had that one experience, guess what, guys? God has more for you. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about God filling you with the Spirit, and when it uses the original language, it talks about filling you again and again and again and again and again. That when you go, it's not just a one-time experience where you say, okay, there's a day I got saved and there was one time at Jesus camp, right, where everything was cool, and I was just like, ooh, I remember that moment. No, God has something for you today. God has a a moment for you today where he wants you to experience his love, experience his care, to experience who he is so that you can feel his arms being wrapped around you. Here's how we do that. Psalms 27 verse 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Listen. Jesus, he is the one who gives life. He's the author of life. He's the one that gives hope. He's the one that brings joy. He is everything. How do you change this place of going from, I sense it, I know it, to a place where saying, I'm living, I'm experiencing it. You change the way you look at Jesus. Man, because when you look at Jesus and you look at scriptures, you need to say, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I accept it. Yeah, I kind of believe it. Yeah, that is what it is. But when you look at it, you say, I know who he is. I know what he's done. Listen to this. It says this in Psalm 27. It says, uh, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty. Right? How many couples, you remember the days when you gazed at each other? Right? Right? When you gazed at each other. Life was just easier as a couple when you gaze at each other, isn't it? When you just kind of glance at each other from across the room, right, you know there's something else going on, right? But when you see a couple at a restaurant and they're just gazing into each other's eyes, they're not saying a word, they're just staring intently at each other's souls, right? You know that something's happening. And shift your view, shift your understanding, allow God to speak to you. Help him to to show you that he loves you and that he's caring for you and that he wants something so much more than just what you can experience in this moment. He wants you to know what you can experience in him. And it changes your life and it compels you to live a life completely different for him. Change your look. Look to him and desire him. See his beauty. Desire his beauty. Look to him and seek the kingdom of God first. Seek the kingdom of God first in everything that you're doing. You're going, I'm going to go take this new job, and this is where I'm going to go, and this is how I'm going to do it. Don't do it for your benefit. Do it for the benefit of the kingdom. And if it doesn't benefit for the kingdom, really question whether or not you should do it. You're looking at something big, and you're just like, I think I should go here. I should move here and go and be a missionary. That's awesome. Would you just wait and wait in his presence and be still? Until you feel him loving you and caring for you and embracing you and just taking time to wait. And then taking that and saying, I know because I've experienced him that I'm supposed to do this. 
I think oftentimes as Christians, we get into bigger issues than we should because we discourage ourselves because we don't like waiting. Waiting times are not wasted times. God's delays are for the development of our character. That as we're sitting there and we're waiting and we're spending time in his presence, that he's changing us and he's showing us what he wants us to be. He's revealing himself to us so that we can become the person that he wants us to be so that we can do what he wants us to do. So when we spend so much time and we're just kind of caught up in this stuff, I want to do this and I want to go here and I want to speak this, and I kinda, we get focused on this world and we lose what God's called us to. And we lose all that we could be a part of. I'm not even going to hit the fourth point tonight, today. We'll get into that next week. Because it's huge and it's, it's important, so I don't want to mess it. But I really just feel like today, man, God just wants to speak to us where we are. One point that I will hit as we go into, you look at the word witness, and if you study this on your own and you look into it on your own, the word witness, the Greek word that's there, it's martus, which is the word we use to get martyr. And when you look at the description of witness and what Jesus was calling to be, it's not just somebody that says, yep, I believe in Jesus. I know of Jesus. It's somebody who is so changed that they're convinced They're so convinced, they're so overwhelmed by who God is and the truth that they know that nothing can change it, not even death. When you look at the gospel of Luke and you look at Acts, this is not just one man writing some fictional story. This is a man who has intentionally gone and sought after every person that he possibly could who walked with Jesus, who knew Jesus, who saw Jesus do things, and he began writing them out and displaying them and saying, here's what took place and here's what took place. And then as he did that and saw who he was, he then went out with Paul and traveled all over the area with Paul and saw the church go from 120 people to exploding. He saw the transformation take place. He was somebody who was so convinced and so transformed by the gospel that when he was 84 years old, he didn't quit life. He didn't retire and just sit back. He was preaching so hard that he was murdered for what he believed to be true. We are called to be a witness And when we look at what God has done for us, and when we look at Jesus has done for us, we look at the care that he has for us, we look at all the things that he's done to to provide for us, to love us, and when we look at the fact that this world is falling apart and that it's broken, but yet he says, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to make it right. And not only are you going to have a place there, but you're going to have a part in everything that I've planned. You're going to be there, and you're going to have everything in that moment. All understanding, all health, all joy, all those things will be yours in that moment. Jesus is offering that to us. And listen, if we're not at a place where we've experienced God's goodness, we're not at a place where we can say, I'm so convinced of who Jesus is because I've experienced him. If we're not at a place where we can say, I've been in a hard spot and I've been in a difficult place, but I've seen God overcome that situation and I've seen him turn it around and it's not necessarily what I wanted, but I know that it was God's plan. And when I got on the other side, I'm telling you, 
It was amazing. And it was awesome. And you could stand there with absolute confidence that God is active. And absolute confidence that God is a God who provides, that he's a God who heals, that he's a God who loves, and he's a God who is real and present today. And if you're not convinced that God is a God that speaks today, then you've got to shift your understanding. You've got to say, God, change my mind, change my perspective, reorient me, help me to look to a different place because I don't want to just look at scripture and say, okay, it's words. God, I want to gaze into it because I'm gazing into your eyes. God, that when I look at this and when I'm reading this, I'm being transformed. God, that when I worship you and I look to heaven and I lift up my hands, I'm not just doing a ritual, but God, I'm serving and worshiping the living, true God. And then as I'm doing that, that I'm in your presence and that you are receiving my praise and that you're giving love, that it's an active relationship. And that's what God wants you to know today, that he has a relationship for you. And he's not just sitting up there saying, I've got commands and I've got rules and I've got this and I've got that. He's up there saying, I've done everything. I've met you more than halfway, Scripture says. And I've come all the way to you. And I've offered you true, abundant, real life. And all I want you to do is to see Jesus. It's all I want you to do is to see Jesus. And to look to him. And say, that man, he is God. Because listen, the core of Christianity, as the worship team comes up here, the core of Christianity is this. Is that Jesus lived as a man, fully man, and fully God. And that he died a death that each one of us deserved to die. And he rose from the dead, and he defeated death, and he defeated everything else. And he did in a moment what we could never do for ourselves. It's the core of Christianity that Jesus lived, that he died, and then he rose again. When you look at these scriptures and you look at who Luke is and how he wrote these scriptures, it is very clear and is very evident. And if you go through and you look back, even this week, my son came to me and he's like, hey, one of the friends in the neighborhood, he told me that the Bible's only got one sentence in it that's true. And I was like, well, which sentence is that? And he goes, he didn't know. And I was like, well, that's awesome. He's got a good argument there. So Brayden said, well, dad, I mean, how do we know? How do we know scripture's true? So we've been taking all week long, and each day I just, right, here's another thing. Here's another thing. And we're just walking through those different things. And the list, I, and even though I go through it again, and I refresh myself of, of looking at all the things that are true. When you look at all of the historical documents that we have, look at all the things that are taking place. You look at the thousands upon thousands of years of scrutiny that the Bible has had. That the world's most intelligent people have scrutinized the Bible, tried to find things that are false, and tried to find things that are, that are not true, and it hasn't been able to happen. That as deeper we go into the future, the history that the Bible talks about becomes that much more clear. As we do archaeological digs and we do all of these things, we begin to see, holy cow, this thing's real. Places that the Bible and only the Bible talked about, wow, we just discovered that. Wow, the Bible said it happened this way, but we've always thought this, but oh, wow, we just discovered that the Bible is actually true. And there's so many more and more and more. The Bible is true. You have thousands of people that knew of Jesus, saw him preaching, 
saw him doing miracles, saw him living his life every day. They knew of him and saw him being crucified. They saw him, thousands, scriptures tells us, of 40 days of him walking around, of Jesus ministering, showing himself to be true and showing himself to be real. From that moment, you see 120 people so convinced of who he is and so mind blown of what's taking place that they say, the promise that Jesus has for me is true and I'm gonna wait and I'm gonna wait until he gives me what I need so that I can live the life that he's called me to live. And that life that he's called me to live is one that is gonna be difficult. It's one that's gonna be hard. It's gonna be one that's gonna have persecution and it's one that's gonna end in for them death. They knew that. And they signed up and said, yes, you tell me of a group of 120, 120 people that come together and somebody says, you're going to die for this. And they say, yep, I'm willing. And never change their story. That when you look at the disciples and the life that they lived, not a single one of them and any of those changed their story. They lived their lives up until the moment of death saying, Jesus lived his life. He died the death that God had him to die, and he rose from the grave. And before he was ascending to heaven to yet come back again one day, he speaks to his disciples and he speaks to us. And he says, listen, don't forget that this life is about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not temporary and it's not here. The, team, the kingdom of God is spiritual and it's eternal. That doesn't make it inconsequential. It doesn't make it unreal. What it makes it is bigger than life. And he's called us to live a life that is bigger than us. And he's given us a hope and a promise and he's cared for us so that we can live that life. And he wants us to live every day of that life experiencing him knowing him and walking in his goodness and in his love and so today as we get ready to sing the song i'm just going to ask that you stand up and if you've not experienced god before that if it's been a long time or if it's been never that you say god i want to know that you're real and i want to know that you're true God, I'm not going to look right here. God, I'm going to look up to you. I'm not going to look at my circumstances and situations. God, I'm going to look at your goodness and your grace. God, I'm not going to look at who I am and what I've done. I'm going to look at who Jesus is and what he's done. And when I do that, I'm going to gaze at him and all that he's accomplished and all that's taking place. And I'm going to be overwhelmed by his goodness. And I'm going to experience his love in this moment. So will you stand in this moment? Will you worship and ask God to do that for you?